This is a podcast by the Catholic Parliamentary Liaison Office. Advocate Mike Pothier speaks to Dr. Mampela Rampele, co-founder of Reimagine SA, businesswoman and social entrepreneur. News of our events and our podcasts can be accessed via our website at cplo.org.za. Please sign up for our newsletter. Full biographies of the speakers appear on our website. This series of roundtables and podcasts is supported by the Hans Seidel Foundation. We are proud to contribute to the National Dialogue on Governance and Democracy. Hello, I'm Mike Pothier, Program Manager of the Catholic Parliamentary Liaison Office. Today I'm speaking to Dr. Mampela Rampele, who I think needs very little introduction in this country. She is currently one of the co-chairs of the Club of Rome, the international think tank, co-founder of the NGO Reimagine South Africa. But in a very full life, she has played many other roles as well, medical doctor, anthropologist, university vice chancellor, businesswoman, social entrepreneur, and for a short time, an active politician. Dr. Ampele, out of all of those various perspectives, uh, I want to ask you, first of all, the social question. At times like this, it's often said that South Africans pull together. We reach out and help each other, despite all those things that have traditionally divided us. But is this really true, do you think? Are we building social cohesion during this time of the pandemic? Or are we just fooling ourselves about that? Thank you very much, Mike, for this conversation. I believe we need to remember that we were created to be interconnected creatures. We naturally reach out to others. That's why when I was brought up in a village in Limbobo, we were not told you don't do this, that they would say to you, a person does not do that. That is disrespect someone else, ignore their needs, be cruel to people. So the natural definition of being human is to be a connected being, connected to others and connected to the life-giving earth on which we have the privilege to be placed and the responsibility to make sure that we enhance those connectedness because that's what keeps us human. That's what defines us as human beings. But it's beyond that. The care and empathy of others is because you know as a human being that without others doing the same to you, you wouldn't be able to survive. That's why the saying that I am because you are, is not simply a byline or a tagline. It's a very deeply spiritual statement. And so if we keep reminding ourselves about who we really are as human beings, then what happened during COVID-19 was simply going back to who we really are. The beauty of the crisis of COVID-19, if one were to say that, 
is that it has taken us off the artificial thrones on which we had been sitting and brought us back to Mother Earth, where we are made to realize that it is not possible to live as human beings without caring for one another and without caring for Mother Earth. Because the lack of wellness of one person in this COVID-19 means that the whole community cannot be well. And that wellness of ourselves is defined by the wellness of the earth. We have damaged the ecosystem of this mother earth. That's why viruses that were living happily amongst animals have now visited us and were not created to deal with those viruses. But because we have destroyed the biodiversity, we have destroyed forests. So those viruses have now skipped the boundary that the creator had set between them and us. And we are now being made to reflect very deeply mm. about how we get ourselves healed, not just free of the virus, but healed as human communities. So that this kind of emergency doesn't occur again, or when it does, will be readier. But also, it is a very poignant reminder that we need to take care of Mother Earth so Mother Earth can protect us against these emergencies, against these pandemics. To the extent that we emerge out of this emergency wiser, much more conscious of our, the, the core of our being as connected uh, individuals and connected communities and as a society, we can, I pray, continue to show this connectedness. In fact, Mike, our constitution enjoins us to heal these divides because we come from a past which destroyed this link between us by color coding people. God never color coded his creation. You see beautiful pink and green, I mean pink and white and yellow roses. Not one is not bigger than the other or better than the other. They're just roses. That's how we should heal our divisions, these color-coded divisions, so we can see ourselves in others regardless of what color. Because then you, you we say will that, that heal the society. We, we have this uh, opportunity in a time of crisis like this, as you say, the beauty of COVID-19, which is an interesting way of putting it, is that it presents us with, with this kind of opportunity. But at the same time, people are striving to go back to normal. And normal in this country, of course, amongst other things, means situations like poverty, high unemployment, high levels of violence, uh, deep inequalities, and so on. Are we going to be able, in your opinion, to carry through the lessons of that we're learning through this pandemic um, and use them then to tackle those longer term, more structural problems in our society? 
I'm encouraged by President Ramaphosa, particularly on, in his uh, Freedom Day speech, when he said, freedom for some is freedom for none. And that freedom, as we know, you cannot be free if you don't have your dignity, your basic rights, and your ability to make choices about how you make a livelihood in a sustainable way so you can sustain not just yourself, but your dignity. Now, one of the lessons of this COVID-19 is that our great divisions, our great inequalities as a society that are part inheritance, but part desired actively by a post-apartheid government that has ignored the rights of 80% of South Africa's people. We are now shocked that the hotspots of COVID-19 are now going into the townships and the shacks and the slums, and we're scared. We better be scared because we have created unsustainable conditions for the majority of South Africans. You cannot have a society where 40% of the people are living with solid 6% of the national income, 40%, 6% of the national income. And you have 1% of the population that has got 60% of the national income. It's unheard of that you can have a sustainable human community with that level of inequality. So there is no going back to normal. We need to create a new normal as South Africans. And that new normal is what's defined in our constitution, that we will heal not just the emotional divisions, but the socioeconomic divisions, so that people can have freedom, having a meaning in their lives. Imagine those young people in Dipsluot, in Langa. Now there is remote learning that my grandson can do quite comfortably. They have no Wi-Fi connection. They have no phones. They have no laptops. They have no iPads. And yet, our government knew that. I get really ashamed when I hear our leaders say, they are shocked that 440,000 households in the Eastern Cape live below the poverty line. How, why are they shocked? Yeah. This is so obvious, which is why people are flocking into the slums around our cities. So this is an opportunity for us to not go back to normal, but to restructure, rebuild our society into a society where every human being has got his or her rights and responsibilities clearly respected but also enabled to assume those responsibilities. When you see people fighting over food parcels, you know your society is in trouble. We need to enable people to grow their own food. People who live in those villages in the Eastern Cape, Eastern Cape has got some of the best soils in this country. But our land reform and land restitution programs have been captured by public servants who are abusing the recapitalization monies and denying the rights of those people. And so 
people cannot, in fact, go back to growing food as the people of Kolobeni in Emampondwen are doing. And to do that, they had to fight to keep their land, to avoid the mining of the dunes that will destroy the ecosystem in that part of the world. So we have to recommit as a society to rebuild our nation and our socioeconomic system into one that promotes well-being of everyone and well-being of our ecosystem. Just to move the conversation onto the immediate situation, um, at a time like this, a government, any government, but uh, talking about our one, needs to find that very delicate balance between uh, the restrictions and the limitations that are necessary in order to help contain the spread uh, of the virus, that on the one hand, and on the other hand, the right of people to live their lives as freely and normally as possible, including uh, the right and the need to go and earn a living. Um, so we're talking about the, the lockdown and the conditions and the length of time of the lockdown. Do you think that uh, up to now the government has managed to strike that balance correctly? No, our government uh, should be given credit for acting decisively and for the first time to work as a team. Because before that, our government always ministers were doing their own thing because it was about them and not about the society they serve. What we have as a problem is the culture within our government. Our government doesn't have a culture of serving the people, of being servant leaders, which is why you see police kicking and killing people instead of saying, sorry, mama, you can't be here in the streets. You've got to be inside because it's all for the benefit of all of us. There's no need to use violence. But because the police, the soldiers, and the leaders who are in charge of those uh, portfolios haven't embraced Ubuntu in the way they discharge their response. If you see yourself in that child, you will not beat them or that man or that old woman. You won't steal from them. And so our government's inability to strike the right balance is a values problem. Mm -hmm. The values of Ubuntu are not the values with which they lead. But also, because the government, many government leaders, are so separate from the rest of us, they don't know how to communicate in a way that comes across as respectful at the same time as responsible. And the idea that we have to keep distance, we had to be locked in, that's a global thing. There's no other way they could have done except the lockdown. But is the how you do the lockdown, how you police it, how you encourage people to keep the social distance, to wear masks, etc. You enable, you do not pressure people into it. But there is something else that is also creeping up which shows this values problem. The idea that when you open the retails for people to buy clothes, you tell them what they should buy. Yeah. I mean, 
that is so so rude so humiliating Mm. for me to have to have a list what can i buy why what difference does it make it is this idea of not serving but exercising power power in public service is there to enable not to control mm. so the lockdown was necessary and we trust and we are very very proud of our president having garnered a team to inform decisions that they take on science basis base but the, the science is there to guide the values should be there to shape how you do what you do because when we combine science with ubuntu then we get the best outcome and our leaders our ministers have to go back to learning what it is to be a human being respecting other people they are our servants and not our bosses yeah you uh, through your activities in the club of rome of course are in touch with a, a number of very senior world leaders and and uh, senior officials in, in multilateral organizations, etc. I suppose we have to remind ourselves that um, if, we, if we look at our performance on the world scale, we certainly have done a lot better than one or two of the so-called leading countries of the world. Absolutely. And again, it's a question of values. When you look at countries like New Zealand, which are led by I'm afraid to say most of the countries that are doing well are led by women. They bring the feminine, which is that what Ubuntu is about, the understanding, the connectedness, the empathy, the compassion, and the respect for other people. Now, New Zealand, it's a small country, is done fabulously well. Iceland has done well. The likes of Scotland, again led by women, have done well. But when you look at the UK, more money, more facilities, but it had over time under the successful, successive uh, conservative governments undermined the National Health Service in the name of the private sector must do most of the work, we must have a small government. One of the things that this pandemic is teaching us is that a strong capable state is essential to make sure that the well-being of everybody regardless of how poor or how wealthy they are is taken care of and when it comes to public health you cannot have privatized public health and the COVID-19 shows the value of a national health service and I hope we here in South Africa, as we get out of this emergency, we sustain the collaboration between the public and the private sector and move with deliberate speed to a national health system with pooling of our resources so that we can afford every South African quality health care, but also that we will move with deliberate speed to eradicate the shameful living conditions of the majority of people 
on the peripheries of our cities. The likes of Trump are showing just exactly how a person who doesn't have Ubuntu behaves. He has no shame, he has no care, and God help the people of America. They should deal with him. We have to make sure our leaders too learn from that example, because there are some arrogant leaders amongst us. That arrogance is what undermines Ubuntu. That what undermines our ability to show the social solidarity, not just in words, but in actions. All right. Uh, lastly, Dr. Ampela, you've often stressed uh, in the context of South Africa's history, um, the need for an emotional healing and an emotional settlement. You've often said that in 1994, we reached a political settlement uh, and, and to some extent a political healing, but we've never really dealt with the need for the emotional healing of our people. Now, this crisis, we see uh, most of the uh, comment is around the economic effects. We, we are going to lose uh, GDP growth. It's going to be negative growth. Um, X number of people are going to lose their jobs. Companies are going to close, etc., etc. It's all about the kind of economic bottom line. But I'm wondering about the emotional effects, the what's going to happen to the sort of um, national psyche if there is such a thing? And what are we going to do about that? Well, what we are also being given the opportunity to do is to revisit the idea of how do we measure development? What is a measure of success? And you can't get there unless you do what I said at the beginning of this interview, focus on well-being. And this is where the emotional healing, emotional settlement that we wrote into our constitution, that we come from an ugly past and we need to heal the divisions of the past. We haven't done any program at a national or provincial or a, a, a local level as a way of meeting the requirements of the preamble of our constitution. We haven't done it. Instead, we talk about social cohesion. We even have programs of social cohesion that touch nothing, that speaks not at all to the real emotional issues. Now, what are the emotional issues? When you grow up with generations upon generations of people being told that they are less than other human beings because of the color of their skin, that thing wounds you so deeply. But on the other hand, those who grew up being told because of the color of their skins, they're superior. They get the shock of their lives when someone else is better than them. And so it's very difficult for us as a South African society to build the country of our dreams because we have not dealt with this pink elephant sitting right in the middle of every room we walk into. We have tried to do symptomatic treatments like black economic empowerment. Empowerment starts with healing of that emotional wound. And when our leaders 
admit to that, they will see how, in fact, they treat people who look like them with disrespect. When you are a public official and you take capitalization money for a poor community for land reform, what are you doing? You won't do it when it comes to bishop's courts. No, because that's where you live and you want to see the water, the sanitation, and the electricity working. So the healing of these wounds are important for us to improve, not to improve, but to transform our social relationships. Starting from the very top, no president should be shocked to see people being poor. They should know that people are poor because they have not done anything to address the real, the real needs of people in the Eastern Cape or in the upper rural areas and so on. The programs that were set up with great fanfare of land reform, land restitution, have not worked. And they know that, but they are protecting one another from accountability for stealing people's money because they don't think that those people are worthy to receive those grants. Second, we also need to heal because those compatriots who believe that they are being treated unfairly because they are white really need to come to terms with the fact that they have had unfettered privilege year on, year on, generation upon generation. And what we know is that wealth in a family does not reduce, it increases. If you start with inheriting money from your grandfather, you made for life. On the other hand, we know that if you are born into a poor family and you have multi-generations of poverty, you get further and further down the pits of poverty. I'm pleading with my white compatriots to come to terms. No one is going to take away your wealth, but you can use your citizenship responsibility to participate in enabling us to uproot poverty. We have enough resources in South Africa. If we can move away as the rest of the world, the likes of uh, New Zealand, Iceland, Scotland, they're moving away from GDP as a measure of success. They're looking at well-being indicators. That is the quality of public, service, public health, the individual health profiles, the quality of education, quality of social and other infrastructure. And their economies are booming because they are not focusing on money, they are focusing on well-being. The money is a tool to exchange goods and services, but it has become a god. And unfortunately, the way in which the global economy has been set up, it's set up for the top 1% to make money in perpetuity at the expense of the bottom 90%. I really believe that South Africa has an opportunity with our economy in junk status. It doesn't mean anything. I mean, that junk is a coin, it's a term that's used to measure 
GDP growth, and all of the indicators that have very little to do with well-being. If we were to refocus our attention on well-being of all South Africans and of the ecology or the earth on which we are living, we can become much more prosperous in the next five to 10 years by focusing on the transition from coal to uh, renewable energies where poor people in every village, we can have a little solar plant, a little wind uh, plant, so that you can in fact decentralize much easier with uh, renewable energy and empower and enable people to lead lives that are dignified and be able to enjoy the uh, privileges of modernity. But it also would free us from all these people who are like piranhas waiting to buy government bonds because they know that they're going to make a ton. So the JSE is largely a channel for people to come and get hot money in here and hot money out. We need to focus much more on community-based, the district model that they're talking about. It shouldn't just be a district model to serve a global-focused economy. It should be a district model to focus on well-being district by district, village by village, and food security, well-being, great schools, great clinics, great roads, and other infrastructure for people. That's real wealth. And that is possible for us to achieve in the next five to 10 years if we put our mind to it. Well, that's a, an uplifting and an inspirational note, I think, on which to end the interview. Dr. Ampele, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much, Mike. Thanks for listening. Please remember to subscribe at cplo.org.za.